Uh, if you don't know, we're in a series in the book of Acts, the book of Acts, titled Thy Kingdom Come, God's Mission to the World. Uh, let me just give you a quick recap of where we've been in this book. The book of Acts is about God's kingdom, God's mission to the world, and we've already seen that God is accomplishing His mission by the resurrected Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and the formation of a new community called the church. And then last week, uh, Timothy showed us how the mission of God is about bringing healing and dignity to people and to the world. This morning, we're looking at Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. And so I'm going to ask you, as we do every week, to stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. This is His Word to us this morning. It should be printed in your bulletin. Acts chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Referencing the healing of the lame man in Acts chapter 3. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well before, before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verses 13 to 14. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Isaiah tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Uh, let me pray. God, I ask that you would come and speak to us this morning. God, we have seen throughout this book the power of God, the power to come upon a small group of people, 120, and the Spirit coming in, in days, growing a, a group of followers to thousands and thousands. And we've seen the Holy Spirit move, we've seen the man healed, and now we've come into Acts chapter 4, and we see this opposition. Lord, would, would you help us to understand the power of of Christ, the kingdom that we get to be a part of, the offer of salvation this morning. Lord, would you bless your word? Would you remove me, the one who gets to communicate? But would we hear from you? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, history tells us that when the British army surrendered to General George Washington and the Continental Army, after the Battle of Yorktown, during the Revolutionary War, the British band played a tune titled, The World Turned Upside Down. The World Turned Upside Down. 
The revolution turned the world upside down. A dramatic, mega-side shift in the way things used to be. The civil rights movement turned the world upside down, or the right way up. 9-11 turned the world upside down. After all of these events, people began to think about life and others and family and country and the world differently. When I got married to Rachel, I had been living 34 years of my life on my own terms. I was single until I was 34, doing my thing. Marriage turned my world upside down. It did, in a good way. One thing that happened this past year that turned the world upside down sorry, Terrells, is when Ohio State won the national championship in football. Uh, I mean, I'm an SEC man. Auburn is my team. The SEC had been dominating college football for eight years. Uh, it was custom for the SEC to win, right? Come on. Yeah, it was custom. And, uh, and then Ohio State wins. The world was turned upside down, right? Uh, it's different. When there is a dramatic shift in the way things used to be, when the world is turned upside down, there is opposition. It will be met with resistance. Whether that be resistance to a new government, to a new way of treating race and people, to a new way of thinking about terrorism, to a new way of thinking about life and marriage, or college football, there will be pushback and resistance. And what we have in Acts chapter 4 is the first resistance and opposition to the world being turned upside down by the resurrected Jesus and the Holy Spirit working through His community called the church. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was the revolutionary event that turned the world upside down. Life, death, decay, burial. That's the pattern of our world. Life, Death, decay, burial. It's what we see here on earth. We're born, but inevitably things will fall apart, right? As strong as we think we are, right? Our physical bodies are falling apart. Try as hard as we may to run and to exercise and to do CrossFit, right? Rachel and I laughed last week because I got, a, a, we thought it might have been a stomach bug, I think it was food poisoning, and I was out for two days. Rachel got a migraine, woke up with a cramp in her arm, and we were laughing because we we're like, our bodies are falling apart and we're not even that old. Like, what is happening? Right? I mean, as strong as some of your families might be, and we've heard already this morning uh, about the reality of this, there is sickness and there is death. In every one of our families there will be. And some of you, I know, are experiencing that right now. Our families will fall apart. Our marriages will fall apart. Death and decay, that is where we're moving. That's where everything is moving. That's the pattern of our world. But the resurrection of Jesus declares that's not the final word. That death is not the end. That there is hope beyond decay. There is life after death. The resurrection was the revolutionary event. And it is the revolutionary teaching because what the resurrection of Jesus means is that there is resurrection life and resurrection hope offered to us and to the world. The resurrection turned the world upside down. In Acts chapter 4, 
opposition arises to this revolution. So uh, let me just let you in on a little reality. This is not by any means my main point this morning. If you follow Jesus, if you trust this resurrection and you're a part of his kingdom, you will face opposition. We will. This morning, I want to look at three things about the resurrection, this revolution that causes opposition. And these are the three things I want us to look at this morning. That the resurrection turns power upside down. The resurrection turns our foundations upside down. And the resurrection turns our very lives upside down. So let's look first at the resurrection turning power upside down. I mean, there is a clear power play going on in this chapter, chapter 4. Timothy preached last week on Acts chapter 3, the healing of the lame man, the, the man who had been laying on the steps of the temple perhaps for 40 years, begging, and he is now healed, and his ankles are strengthened, and he's leaping for joy, and he's praising God. And everyone is amazed at the healing, and everyone at the temple recognizes that there was some kind of power that healed this lame man and made him walk. But what power? Peter and John are preaching to the people in chapter 3 at the very end that this man was healed by the name of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus was he healed. In Acts 4, verse 1 is where we pick up. And in walk the, the priests and the chief or the captain of the temple, which he was the police of the temple. He policed the temple. And the Sadducees, who were a religious sect that did not believe in the resurrection. So in walk these leaders. And verse 2 says that they are greatly annoyed because Peter and John are teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And you have to understand that the priest, the chief of the temple, the Sadducees, they were the wielders of power in this day. They held the power. They influenced, they controlled the social, economic, and political life. And now, there's this group that started with 120 people who were following Jesus, but in a matter of days it had grown to thousands. And now a lame man is healed, and now in verse 4 we see 5,000 more added to the followers of Jesus this very day. And the power players in Jerusalem are feeling threatened. Dare I say, a little afraid of this new power at work. So what do they do? They try to rein in the apostles. They try to clamp down and, and control. They arrest Peter and John. Now, this is the way our world operates. Power lies in the hands of those who influence socially, economically, and politically. It's the way our world operates. And the original Netflix show, House of Cards, is about uh, Washington, D.C. and the political scene on the Hill. And really, it's a show all about power, if you've seen it. And, and Francis Underwood, played by Kevin Spacey, says, while looking at a guy who had left the political scene to enter into business, Francis says this, such a waste of talent. He chose money over power. In this town, it's a mistake nearly everyone makes. Money, it's the McMansion in Sarasota that falls apart after 10 years. Power is the old stone building that stands for centuries. I cannot respect anyone who does not see the difference. Power, the old stone building that stands 
first century. Power is what life is all about. Now, it's easy for us to slip into this way of thinking, to think that life is about influence and power, even if we don't know it. We can begin to ask questions subconsciously, perhaps consciously, like this. Do people like me? Do people respect me? Do people look to me? In other words, do I hold power socially? We can ask questions like, do I have enough money? Right, what's my, what are my stocks doing? Am I able to buy what I want to buy when I want to buy it? In other words, do I hold power economically? And a good indicator that you're asking questions subconsciously or consciously is when those things begin to get threatened, you respond with fear. Just like the priest and the chief of the temple and the Sadducees, you clamp down and you want to control you become overly obsessed with people liking you. You become demanding and people respecting you. You do whatever it takes to get people to approve of you. You work harder to make more money. You buy more things to show people that you have money. And it's all a charade and a facade that is about control and power. That is the way of our world. That is the power at work in our world, the world's power. But look at the other power at work in this passage. They ask Peter and John in verse 7, by what power or by what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, remember the other time Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. There was power at work at Pentecost. And so Peter here, filled with the Holy Spirit, in verse 10 says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, he, Peter continues to say that, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. By what power was this lame man healed? The resurrection power. By the power of the resurrected Jesus. And the power of Jesus turns the power of the world upside down. Who holds the power in this passage? The lame man. Two uneducated common men. The power of the kingdom of God is not seen in the strong and the mighty, but in the weak and the lowly. Not in the wealthy and the elite, but in the poor and the contrite. Not in the one who holds all of the knowledge, but in the one who confesses they have need. The world says power is influence, position, Money, control, the resurrection says power is weakness. Did you believe that? Do you believe true power is weakness? I love what Oswald Chambers wrote. He said, God can achieve His purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance on them. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on Him made possible the unique display of His power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependence on their natural abilities and resources. God uses ordinary people who rely on Him. God uses people who know they need God, who confess they are weak, 
because God's power is displayed through weakness. And a good indicator that you're living, that we're living with this view of power, is when your life is marked with boldness rather than fear. Peter and John, they were astonished at the boldness of Peter and John. These ordinary men being used in an extraordinary way. Boldness is not wielding power. Boldness comes in the reliance upon the one who holds all the power. The resurrected Jesus. And that is so countercultural. That is so contrary to the way we think, to the way the world works. And there will be much resistance and opposition to this new pattern of living, but it is the way of the kingdom. The resurrection turns power upside down. The second reason we see about this opposition that's arising in chapter 4 is that the resurrection turns our foundations upside down. Peter and John are questioned about the power that healed the lame man, and they respond in verse 10, by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And then in verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. In this one verse, Peter and John are referencing two Old Testament passages. The first is the reference to Psalm 118. Most Jews knew the story of King Solomon building the temple. And that in the building of this temple, there was a stone that was cut for the foundation of the wall. And it wouldn't fit anywhere else. But the Lord led them to use that stone for the very cornerstone of the massive temple. It was a perfect fit for the central piece of the temple. I don't know if any of you have ever done a puzzle, done a puzzle before. And a lot of times there's one piece of the puzzle that if you can figure it out, the rest of the puzzle just kind of falls into place. It's, it's the one piece you need. It's the piece. It's the central piece right, of the puzzle. Here's the thing you need to know. The temple was the thing for the Jews. It was the thing, the central thing. It was more than just a place of worship. The temple was the heart of what it meant to be the people of God. The temple was the central thing of their lives, and as long as the temple was doing good, the Jews felt like they were good. The temple was the place where they based their life on. It was, it's what they based their life on. Right? It, it meant merit, their service, their sacrifice. The Jews were in love with the temple. That sounds so strange to us, but that's what they were in love with. And what Peter is doing is he's going after the foundation of the Jews. He's going after that which they love the most what they base their life upon. And when you're building a home, one of the first things you do is pour the foundation. You pour the cement to give the home a strong base, a rock-solid foundation. Every one of us here has poured something to be the foundation of our lives, to be the thing that we rely upon. Every human being has a cornerstone a foundation, a way of living that you place your ultimate value in. Your cornerstone could be your morality. Could be your immorality. Cornerstone could be your education or your family or your political cause or your career. It could be your religion. All that you do for God. 
Your cornerstone is your confidence. It's the thing that allows you to feel good about yourself and it enables you to look the world in the eye. That's your cornerstone. It's your foundation. The second Old Testament reference is to Daniel chapter 2, the Old Testament prophet, where Daniel interprets the dream of Nebuchadnezzar about a stone that smashes a great powerful image to pieces. And then that stone becomes a great mountain and it fills the earth. And Daniel says in the prophecy of Daniel that the powerful image was the pagan empire, that which opposed God. And now Peter and John are saying Jesus is the stone. See what he's doing in one verse? Jesus is the stone that smashes any pagan system, any way of doing life that is opposed to God. There's a ton of development happening in downtown Durham, isn't there? I love to watch a crane or a wrecking ball take a swing on an old dilapidated building and just knock it to the ground right, over and over until, the, until that building just crumbles to pieces. That's what the resurrected Jesus does. He smashes to pieces and knocks down any way of doing life that is not based and founded upon Him. Jesus wants to knock down any system of life that we build that is based on what we do or our merit. Our foundations of morality, our immorality, family, of a political cause, or our career, or religion, anything that we do, Jesus wants to knock to the ground that's not based upon Him. When we're not living our lives based on all that Christ has done. I have to warn you, Jesus wants to be the thing. Jesus wants to be the central thing in every one of our lives, which means God will graciously go to any lengths to smash down to the ground that which is not based on Jesus and His love and in His grace. And there's resistance to Jesus turning our foundations upside down. Our own resistance, right? Maybe you've experienced it. Jesus says, I want to be the thing. Not money, not success, not family, not career, not sex, not alcohol. And we can be like the rich young ruler who says, I'll do anything, God, except this one thing. And Jesus says, I want to be the one thing, the central thing. So let me ask you this morning, what is your one thing that you're holding onto apart from Jesus? Jesus wants to be the foundation of our living. And the truth is, when we live our lives with Christ as our foundation, when we live our life based on what He has done, His perfect life and death and resurrection and ascension and promised return, when we live our life based on Christ, it gives us the security that we've always wanted but look for in other places. Jesus alone is the one who enables us to look life in the eye and to feel good about who we are and to feel good about what we are a part of. Christ is the foundation to base our lives upon. The last thing we see about why this opposition arises to the resurrection, it not only turns power upside down, 
It not only turns the foundation of our lives upside down, it turns our very lives upside down. I've always loved verse 13. That's why I kind of added it, because I love it. Look at verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The apostles, Peter and John, they were not a flashy group. They were a ragtag group of common men, not highly trained in education. They were rejects, and now they're preaching with boldness. They healed a lame man, and everyone is astonished. And they're saying, what happened to these men? How are their lives so different now? And they recognized they had been with Jesus. These rejects and ordinary people spent time with Jesus and now their lives are turned upside down. I was watching ESPN one Saturday morning this fall uh, and I've got the best wife because she loves to watch college game day with me on Saturday mornings in the fall. And so we were watching college game day, uh, which is like Christmas every Saturday morning in the fall in the Mason household. And, uh, and, and there was a 10-minute segment on Josh Robinson, who's the running back for Mississippi State, who was one of the better SEC running backs this past year. And the story of Josh Robinson was that he was in high school and his family had passed away. He was living in his car alone, homeless, playing football. You can imagine how sad and how down he was. And Dan Mullen from Mississippi State offers him a scholarship. And the Mullen family welcomes him like family upon his arrival to Starkville, Mississippi. And I listened to Josh speak. And you saw how hard he worked in the classroom and how hard he worked at football, becoming one of the best in the SEC. And it was clear that his life had been turned upside down. The scholarship turned Josh from being homeless and living in a car by himself to becoming a good student and a football player and an incredible human being. Josh received dignity and purpose in being offered a scholarship, and his life was turned upside down. This passage tells us there is no greater dignity that can be instilled than being with Jesus. Being with Jesus because Jesus welcomes rejects and strugglers and sinners and ordinary common people. And Christ pours out His love and His grace and His mercy. And Jesus turns rejects into the embraced, sinners into saints, ordinary people into extraordinary people. And being with Jesus gives us a sense of purpose. The purpose we've been talking about this whole series, living on God's mission to the world. Jesus turns this ragtag group into a powerful force. 5,000 saved this very day. The movement of God's kingdom was changing and has changed the world. But to live with this sense of dignity and purpose, you must be with Jesus. You must spend time with Jesus. So I wonder... People ever look at your life and are astonished and say, they must have been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. Do you spend time with Him? He's given us His Word and prayer and communion.
community with others, worship on Sunday morning, and when we spend time with Jesus, our lives get turned upside down. We're given a sense of dignity because we know we are more loved and valued and accepted than we've ever imagined. And we're given purpose. God's kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven. Acts 4 verse 12. It's a verse that many love or many hate. There is no salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is hatred toward this verse because it states the exclusivity of salvation, which I mentioned a couple weeks ago. That there is only one way, and that that way is Jesus Christ. And many object. It's too narrow. That doesn't sound very loving. It's too narrow. And many will say all religions are equally true, or truth is whatever you want it to be or whatever you think it to be. And this is the reality, and I said this a couple weeks ago, that all of those statements are just as narrow and just as exclusive as the statement that Christ is the one way. Because all claims for truth are all bids for power and authority. Right? And I will say this, that there are many arrogant Christians, and I used to be one, that have used this, and I still am arrogant, but uh, using this verse before, who have used this verse to do harm. Many who have used it to further their own power or their own prestige. But in our world, the Western world at least, the boot has been on the other foot for a few hundred years now. The, the reigning thought of our day is that there are many ways of salvation and that the truth claim of Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension is somewhat silly and laughable. And we cannot name the name of Jesus. But let me ask you a question. Who else can rescue people in the fashion of Jesus that we've just seen in Acts chapter 4? Who else? Who rescues through weakness? Who does for us what we cannot do? Who gives us dignity and purpose? No one like the Lord Jesus. There are many concepts and many claims on salvation, but I will say there is no salvation and no redemption that is anything like the salvation and redemption and the rescue mission of Jesus Christ. Here's my charge to you who follow Christ. You believe in the resurrected Jesus. You'll face opposition. The world doesn't like being turned upside down. There's always resistance to this revolution of the kingdom of God. But let's base our lives on Jesus, trusting Him, and we offer Christ to the world. And I promise you that there will be times when the resurrection power will break through into the lives of our friends, into our families, into our work, in our community, in the city of Durham, and around the world, just like it did in Acts chapter 3, when the lame man is healed. The picture of the lame man with strengthened ankles, leaping and praising God, that's the picture of Isaiah 35, which speaks of the restoration of the whole world. Listen to Isaiah 35. It says, Say God will come and save you. Declare to the world God will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. The risen Jesus is in the business of rescuing people 
and restoring the world and its unstoppable power. It turns the world upside down. And when we let our lives testify to Jesus and His resurrection power, when we declare that our God saves through Jesus and our weakness and in His power, God opens the eyes of the blind. He opens the ears of the deaf and He heals that which is broken. Christ Central, when we live trusting Jesus like this, Though there be opposition, Acts 4.14 will happen. But seeing the man who was healed, standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. The opposition was silenced. They had no words. Don't let your arrogance be offensive. Let your, let your neighbor see your humility and the way you love them. Love this city with a, with a humility founded upon knowing we are a ragtag group of people that God uses in this world because it is through, his weak, through our weakness that His power is manifested. Some will be offended and there will be resistance, but the kingdom of God coming to earth through His church by the resurrected Jesus, eyes being opened, ears being unplugged, brokenness being healed, that will silence a watching world. That will silence the opposition that we might face. So let's pray for that. Let's pray for more of this power to be at work through us to the city and to the world. The tune, the tune that was played by the British Army surrendering to General George Washington, the world turned upside down. That's our tune, brothers and sisters. That is the tune that we sing and that we listen to and that we dance to every day of our life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's death, decay, sin, and it doesn't have the final word. There is a new world order breaking through, and one day, someday, it will be complete when Christ returns. Let's pray. God, I ask that you help us to, to trust and to believe God believe and to have, Lord, our understanding of power turned upside down. Our foundations, the, the one thing removed so that Christ can be center. And our very lives would be changed. God, only you can do this. <laughs> only your power can do it. Would you do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.